Katie. Oh, Katie. Katie. Oh, Katie. Okay. Okay, Katie. How you doing? I don't know who Katie is, but if you I are don't know Katie, either. uh, if you are Katie, job. thank you for listening. Thank you. We appreciate you specifically, Katie. And if you're not Katie, congratulations. Wow. Now you are. Now you are Katie. Anyone who is listening who is not named Katie is now named Katie. Hi, welcome. Hello, um, welcome back after a nice week-long hiatus. Yeah, I am Rachel, and that is Grace. I'm Grace, and that is Rachel. This is Myths and Misfortunes, the podcast where we talk about things and get mad and at stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about things and get mad at stuff. Or we talk about the paranormal and the true crime. You know how it is. Let's do this. Oh, yeah. This is our um, fourth M-E-S-S episode. Yep. And what? That is now not a month-end episode. (laughs) It's no longer a month-end episode because of this. It's fine. We're just going to push. We're just going to push. What is your story today, Rachel? Okay. So my story, actually, I'm going to have to pull up this picture and show you. My story this week is um, basically, <gasps> Courage the Cowardly Dog, oh my is God. there some truth to it? Oh my God. Is there some truth to it? So uh, our sources are latimes.com, youtube.com, um, a video by, well, that's fucking strange, wonderful video, by the way, mailfactorsregister.com, notoriousTexasCrimes.com, charlieproject.org, ElPasoTimes.com, Reddit.com, and AlexMatsuo.com. So, I found this picture from, well, this picture is from 2018, but I found it recently on Facebook, and it reads, fun fact, the middle of nowhere was an actual place located in New Mexico. The elderly couple who owned the house with their dog repeatedly witnessed many strange incidents. They once reported seeing a creature that they identified as a skinwalker, and after reporting what they saw, the family disappeared under strange circumstances. Only their dog was found. Oh my god. I'm really excited for this. I was super excited about it. I'm still. It was still a really good story, and because of the story, I now I added another story okay. to the list, and I do touch on it very briefly. But anyway, I found this image very interesting because you know this was the first horror show that we as children grew up watching it scared you know the shit out of us when we were six seven yeah i would say maybe second i don't know if i remember this first or if i remember so weird first but i feel like they're right there together see and i don't remember watching so weird so yeah so this one was mine 
And like all TV shows you watch as a child, it shapes you into who you are as a person today. So thank you, Courage the Cowardly Dog, for opening my interest in the paranormal and weird. I thought you were going to say thank you, Courage the Cowardly Dog, for showing me it's okay to be a coward. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to be yourself. That's what the story was about. Yes. So... I had to look into it, which is why, you know, it's part of this month's MESS episode. And it's a lot less paranormal That's okay. than I wanted. I know. But still, I was like, paranormal? Skinwalkers? Yeah. No. Anyway, based on my research and that done by others, there are only two possible cases that could have been what prompted this image in the theory of Courage the Cowardly Dog being based on a true story. And I first want to preface that there were, you know, several other possible examples that show up with, like, a simple Google search. However, because of the initial release date of Courage the Cowardly Dog on Cartoon Network in November of 1999, several of the possible theories are no longer relevant. For instance, there's one that kind of appeared in 2004, which is more similar to the picture. Yeah. However, because it's 2004. Way later, yeah. After the fact. So the first one that I'm going to touch on very briefly that I mentioned at the very beginning is the case of the disappearance of Marie B. Parker. Upon her disappearance, the only thing left was her dog. Hmm. This case lines up well with the Courage the Cowardly Dog theory because she disappeared in July of 1997. Ah. And her disappearance was officially solved in early 1999, so that makes it even more likely that it's, you know, the case. However, Parker was only 22. Oh. Not an elderly woman. But she did As live depicted out in, the in Courage the Cowardly Dog. She lived in this town called Truth and Consequences. Oh, really? And actually, the picture here is the house that she lived in. Oh. Huh. And if you look at it, this house does match... Yeah, it looks really similar. The Courage, the Cowardly Dog House. So, I mean, yeah. Definitely could be. Definitely could be. But I didn't want to go too far into this because it's tied in to another case, which I want to cover completely. Okay. So, the more likely story actually happened in 1957. Oh. In a neighborhood known as Kern Place within El Paso, Texas, there lived an older couple named Margaret and William Patterson. 42 and 52, respectively. According to locals, Margaret was a warm, friendly, caring, and petite individual, while William was kind of gruff Mm. and mean and just, you know, the complete opposite. Like the movie. Yeah. Or like the movie, like like the show. show. I knew what you meant. It's fine. The two owned Patterson Photo Supply and lived happily in their paid-off house with their beloved cat, Tommy. Aw, Tommy. On March 5th, 1957, a neighbor by the name of Jerry Cash brought Margaret some boxes of Girl Scout cookies. However, when Jerry arrived to the Patterson home, they felt unwelcome and very soon left. Okay. Of course, this could have a lot to do with Mr. Patterson's... Standoffishness. ...demeanor. Yes. But Jerry also felt unwelcome by... Margaret. Oh, okay. Yeah, like she was very short, cut him off, like she had to get out of there. Only a few nights earlier, another friend of the Pattersons, Cecil Ward, and his wife were invited over for dinner. Afterwards, Cecil and William went out to the garage to have a beer and work on William's boat. By the way, the Pattersons were loaded. They had boats, RVs, 
cars, like fancy cars, loaded. Anyway, the two men reportedly made plans to get together later that week before the wards, you know, went home for the night. According to neighbors, that night there appeared to be some unusual activity in the Patterson home. However, I couldn't find any elaborations on this. That's okay. So, yeah. But anyway, these were the last few times that the Pattersons were seen. Ten days later, on March 15th, the couple's accountant, Herbert Roth, received a telegram with instructions in how to manage the couple's assets and their business. The telegram had been called into a Western Union office in Dallas from a payphone near the Love Field Airport. Roth was instructed to cancel some hotel reservations that the couple had made in Washington, D.C. to rent out their home for at least nine months, sell the mobile home that the couple owned, and then use those proceeds to support the store. He was also instructed to hire Doyle Kirkland to manage the store. This might seem slightly odd, or it might not, but it gets even weirder given the fact that Kirkland owned his own rival photo store within El Paso. Aww. Weirdly enough, though, he was also one of William's friends. Huh. So, I guess, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Keep your rival photographer closer. Yeah. And, in fact, Kirkland had even been the official last person to visit the Patterson home. Oh. This was not known until later on when Cecil Ward came forward Mm -hmm. because on March 6th, Cecil Ward opened up his auto business to find William's Cadillac sitting in the driveway. Later that day, Kirkland came into the shop and told Cecil that William had asked him to bring the car in for a tune-up because the Pattersons were going on a little vacation. Mm. Another odd thing about the telegram that Roth received was that it was signed W.H. Patterson. However, William's name was Durrell. What? Not William H. Patterson. William Durrell Patterson. Why would Patterson. he just assume... <laughs> if you're gonna fake somebody's <laughs> name, why would you just make up a random... Oh my god. And it wasn't until August of that year that the Pattersons were officially reported missing. That is so long. Five months later. It's also important to note that one source says that Roth received a letter, not a telegram, that was postmarked May 29th, 1957. This would give a little bit more time between the couple disappearing and the letter being received. Kind of makes a little bit more sense, but you know, differing stories. Right. Yeah, I just, yeah. That's still a while. Yeah. Anyway, this letter stated that the couple was fleeing the country and, like the telegram before, told Roth how to divide the couple's assets. But why? Are you- None of which were to be left to either of the Patterson's living relatives. This letter was signed correctly. However, because no one was there to witness the signature and Margaret had not signed the letter, the contents of the letter had no value Mm -hmm. because Margaret was also an owner of the Patterson Photo Supply. Okay. That's so weird. Yes. Both of these documents make it seem as if the couple ran off on an impromptu vacation. However, what was found in the home indicated something a little bit otherwise. The house was left in complete and utter chaos. Dishes had been left in the sink from the small dinner party held on the night of March 5th. 
Clothing was left laying out on the couple's bed, and fur coats and other expensive clothing were left at the cleaners with no instructions to store them. Mm. Utilities were left on, the mail was not stopped, and there was no change of address given to the post office. And, worst of all, in my opinion, poor Tommy the cat was not boarded. Mm. He was left outside. Mm. Poor baby. And he had to fend for himself all that time, which apparently was very uncharacteristic for the couple because Tommy was like their baby. According to police who showed up to the property, the house was completely devoid of life. Upon further investigation, it was also discovered that William had a mistress per se. A young 20-year-old woman named Estefana Arroyo Marfin. During early parts of the investigation, Marfin told authorities that William had come to see her on March 6th the day after he was last seen in El Paso. He told her that he had important things to tell her and that when they come for me, I'll have to go in a hurry. What? She later recanted this, so there's no real knowing how true this was or not. While the couple was known to the community, they were kind of mysterious as well. They never let on to their friends about their backgrounds, and according to William's father, Luther, William made his living doing sleight-of-hand tricks. Ooh. For example, when the couple originally moved to El Paso from Dallas in the 40s, Patterson was selling nylon stockings that had been smuggled from Mexico on the black market. So, you know, he's doing some some sketchy stuff and then disappears. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I guess it doesn't seem that sketchy to me because it's stockings, but I'm sure at the time. I mean, I'm sure that's not the only thing he was... I'm sure it's not, but stockings. By the 60s, um, rumors began to spread of sightings of the Pattersons in Mexico City. Sheriff Bob Bailey was able to track down some hotel workers who positively identified photos of the Pattersons as a couple who stayed at the hotel for several months in 1957. Hmm. Unfortunately, after this, the case went cold and the couple was officially declared dead in 1964. Even with that sighting? Even with that sighting. Uh, that's all. Then in 1984, a man named Renaldo Nangaray came forward with information that changed the game of the investigation. Ronaldo had been the couple's caretaker, illegally. Oh. When the couple disappeared, he was called in to clean up the house and prepare it for rentals as per the Pattersons' request. While he was working in the garage, he discovered blood and a piece of a human scalp on the propeller of the Patterson's boat. And he didn't say shit. He admitted to cleaning up the scene and not saying anything at the time. I mean... You said he was working for them illegally, so... Mm. Mm -hmm. He also claimed that at one point he had seen a man carrying out bloody sheets from the house and throwing them in the trunk of a car. Oh. When asked why he did not come forward, he admitted that he feared being deported due to his lack of citizenship, which is a completely logical fear. Like, completely so valid, yeah. So valid. Unfortunately, the information he provided was never confirmed because two years later, after his initial telling people, Ronaldo was killed in a car accident. One of the more popular theories is that the couple were spies. Okay. This is further proven by the fact that multiple witnesses claim to have seen William taking photos of Fort Bliss and military shipments that arrived on trains. Okay. However, 
FBI agents have assured investigators that there was no espionage here. <laughs> okay, the FBI <laughs> said so, guys. Let's go home. <laughs> Likewise, circling back to the picture that brought up this interesting story, the Pattersons never saw any creatures, although many claim that the house they once lived in is now occupied by their spirits. Mm. There's also a theory that their bodies are buried somewhere on the property. property. Yeah. I mean, there's also the fact so, that they only had a cat and not a dog. So, well... But that's I mean, that's kind of a that. given. That's creative licensing. But you know, you know, no, 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 no. Courage was a cat named Tommy. That's sure, what it was. Sure, 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 sure. Courage was a cat named Tommy. There were no monsters. That only a title. mysterious Courage disappearance. Was a cat named Tommy. <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is the real life Courage the Cowardly Dog, and it's a mystery. Dis- it's a mysterious disappearance that remains unsolved to this day. That was so cool and wild and not even remotely what I expected. I know, right? I was so disappointed because I wanted it to be so much more, but then it was something else entirely. Yeah. And I had to go with it because I was like, yes. Oh, I like that. Yes. I like that yours was more um, true crime. True crimey. Because mine is true crime. (laughs) Oh my God, we really did that. That never happens. It really doesn't. <laughs> I think it is so interesting because this is the first, like, mess episode that's, like, that's murder. Had yeah. got any sort of true crime involved. We never have a mess episode with murder. And I, I realized that and I thought this would be a good week to start. And it just happens that my dad brought home a book that was all about really old true crime in Louisville. So so my story this week is about the um, Austin Cheryl poisoning. Oh! I know. So my sources are strangeco.blogspot.com, three or four archived Courier Journal articles from when this happened in um, 1882, my bad, Mm -hmm. 1892 on newspapers.com, and um, bits and pieces of it were taken from a book by Kevin McQueen titled Louisville Murder and Mayhem, Historic Crimes of Derby City that my dad got me. Um, I have some critiques of this book. Okay. But we'll get into it later. Let's just say I... Be wary if you are politically correct in any sort of way. Yeah. So late, late 1800s, 40-year-old Emma Austin ran a brothel that was located above a produce store at 339 2nd Street in Louisville, Kentucky. September 8th, 1892, Mrs. Austin, her son Lloyd, uh, along with the live-in laundress Rachel Jackson, Mrs. Jackson's daughter Lily, and one of Mrs. Austin's employees, Eugenia Sherrill, were at the brothel. Miss Jackson, are you for real? Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) That night, around four or five men employed the women's services. Uh, Someone sent out for 20 cents worth of ice cream, which everyone in the house enjoyed before they went to bed. The next morning before school, Mrs. Austin's son, Lloyd, said he was feeling unwell. See, I'm not sure if I should call her Miss Austin or if I should just call her Emma because there are so many people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's fine. I'll just go with Miss Austin. 
The next morning before school, Mrs. Austin's son Lloyd said he was feeling unwell, but Mrs. Austin insisted he go anyway. Mm-hmm. After he left. Like you do. Yeah, like all parents are like, oh, you're sick. Go. Go to school anyway. Right. Like all parents. It just, it, the, well, that's because children so often. A lot of, a lot. Try of, to yeah. get out of school. Yeah, a lot. I tried so many times to just be like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sick. After Lloyd left, Mrs. Austin made a breakfast consisting of batter cakes, cantaloupe, jam, and coffee for her and Eugenia Cheryl. Batter cakes? I actually didn't look them up. I'm assuming pancakes. They're just pancakes. Pancakes? Yeah, they're just they just look like they're just pancakes. Okay, they're just pancakes, but they're different somehow. Almost immediately, the women began feeling ill, suffering from uncontrollable vomiting and diarrhea. Mrs. N. Johnson, who was temporarily boarding in the house and yet seemingly later told press she had no idea what kind of establishment she had been residing in, although that didn't make her leave. Anyway, she heard their cries of pain and called a doctor. Dr. Brennan came and told the women they were suffering from food poisoning, which was very common during the time considering the refrigerator had hadn't even been invented yet yeah. and oh my yeah. god okay, they had eaten ice cream the night before right and i was doing research on um on food poisoning during the time and apparently there was an air- ailment literally called ice cream poisoning oh my god because sometimes why people would be fine other times they would get really sick and on a rare occasion die and they just didn't understand why for the longest time and it was just it was it was it was food poisoning but they just didn't understand like bacteria and the way that it worked so they just called it ice cream poisoning. Ice cream poisoning. Yeah. I'm going to go poison myself with some ice cream after we finish recording. <laughs> Literally. By the way. <laughs> and also, um, I, I'll talk about it later. It's fine. Yeah. So Dr. Brennan prescribed them medicine that was supposed to help, uh, but their health kept just kept declining. And soon they were covered in a cold sweat. Their eyes were dilated. Oh. And mm-hmm. the worst of all, they began vomiting blood. Oh, no. At this point, Dr. Brennan was like, oh, shit, this isn't food poisoning. Just, you know, old-fashioned poisoning. And it was probably deliberate. <laughs> Just old-fashioned old poisoning. poisoning. You know. So this is kind of where things become complicated. It's just, just wild. So Mrs. N. Johnson, the boarder, who was by all accounts a respectable woman, so she mm-hmm. had a, a lot of explaining to do, like why she was there. Uh, and while her being there was shocking, it was apparently even more shocking that Eugenia Cheryl was there. She Why? Because she was a member of an extremely prominent and respectable family, having married Edward Cheryl, a wealthy traveling salesman, just the year before. So this would have been a huge scandal, anyone finding out that she worked in a brothel on the side when her husband was away. It it would be a big deal. I mean, maybe he doesn't satisfy her the way he thinks he does. Nobody can tell. Nobody knows. (laughs) Nobody knows. Uh, anyway, Mrs. Cheryl begged to be taken to her home, so if she did die, no one would know her secret. But she mm-hmm. was too sick to be moved, and she died at 12.45 p.m., with Miss Austin passing away two hours later. Aww, that's horrible. Yeah, and because foul play was suspected, the coroner's inquest was immediate, like, right there in the brothel. Yeah. The first thought was obviously the ice cream, but since everyone else had eaten it and they were fine with only Lloyd feeling sick, it was dismissed. They just figured he had indigestion. 
it's fine. One of the witnesses was Mrs. Austin's adult daughter, Nellie Koch. Mrs. Koch no longer lived with her mother, having left several weeks before, but when she heard of her mother's illness, she came to see her. She stated that her mother told her that her and Mrs. Cheryl became sick right after eating breakfast. Nellie Koch also revealed that she had thrown away the remaining batter cakes left over from breakfast, meaning none of them could be tested for poison. None of the other witnesses were of any help, really, and the inquest was momentarily put on hold as the men who had visited the night before weren't named and were difficult to find. An Mm -hmm. autopsy was performed only on Mrs. Austin, as it was pretty obvious that they had the same cause of death, so they didn't feel both was necessary. The autopsy revealed poison thought to be arsenic, and at the time it was a common ingredient in a popular pesticide, rough on rats, but there was none in the house, Mm -hmm. meaning it was definitely not accidental. And since the two women were the only ones affected and the only ones to eat the batter cakes, it was pretty clear what had been poisoned. Yeah. It was at this point that Edward Sherrill, Eugenia Sherrill's husband, returned to Louisville. I know, right? Like, just in time. He heard what had happened and ran to Mrs. Austin's home where the bodies were just, like, chilling for anyone and everyone to see. And he held his wife wailing that the vile stories couldn't be true and his genie was true to him and that he would kiss her had she not been poisoned. <laughs> it's so sad. I, I, I'm trying not to lie. It's so sad. It's, it's, it's sad, but it's all... It was very dramatic. It's ridiculous. It was so over the top and it literally took 15 minutes before he could Did be separated from his wife's body. No. I'll talk. I'll mention it at, like at the very end. But he's so dramatic. I know. Mrs. Austin was buried in Cave Hill Cemetery and Eugenia's funeral was held in Meade County. So, by the way, you could probably go visit Mrs. Austin's grave, just saying. In Cave Hill. Okay. Oh, Cave yeah. Hill. Okay. Uh, and Eugenia's funeral was held in Meade County, where she was from, and it was apparently one of the largest funerals in the area's history. Like, huh? hundreds of people attended her fun- her burial. That's super sweet, though. So Horrible that... Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I think but most of the, it's super sweet. I, I think most of the people were just people who like wanted to like poke their nose in. They wanted to find out what happened. I'm sure. So now that it was known that the two women had been deliberately poisoned, um, no one could agree on who the hell did it or why. Mrs. Austin's daughter, Nellie, suggested that Mrs. Austin deliberately poisoned her own food and for some reason decided to take Mrs. Cheryl with her. And Mrs. Johnson, the boarder, she agreed. She said that it was really off that as the women were dying, Mrs. Cheryl was frantic trying to get home or try to survive, but Miss Austin was seemingly indifferent, although she did complain about the pain. Yeah. And on top of that, apparently Mrs. Austin had recently visited her brother Sam Gore at the Jeffersonville Penitentiary. He was there for murder. And a guard heard her telling him that she would soon end her trouble. Mm. Also, Mrs. Austin had taken out a hefty life insurance policy on herself, making her son the sole beneficiary. They also found it odd that she sent Lloyd to school, even though he felt sick. But I mean, like we said earlier, that's like most, really most parents common. do that. Yeah. Mrs. Coke didn't say why she thought her mother would have poisoned herself, much less Miss Cheryl. But during the inquest, it was discovered that Mrs. Austin and her daughter had a falling out about the kind of life Nellie was living, potentially. And I know the face that you're making, like she ran a brothel. That's exactly what Nellie said. 
there's nothing wrong right, with running of course, a brothel, of but so, what? But that is kind of the life. response that Nellie had. She was like, "You run a brothel," <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. But I mean, during the time no. was very, very yeah. like no. Well, and and even today, a lot of people would still frown on it. Yeah, in some countries. Yeah. So, Some suggested that the two women were killed by a client, maybe someone who had been visiting them in secret and didn't want it getting out. Two of the men who came over the night before spent the night, so one or both of them could have slipped something into their food before they left that morning. Mrs. Johnson said she thought one of them was named Will, and Mrs. Koch said they might want to take a look at a well-known Main Street clerk. Interestingly, after all of this, a bunch like a shit ton of men went to the police saying that they had never even met emma austin and certainly never visited such an establishment which kind of gave them away it's like they just immediately let all of their like wives or significant others let them know yeah like every yeah hilarious and i know i said earlier was where it gets wild but i was wrong it's here it's here On September 12th, three days after the deaths, the coroner received an unsigned letter that reads as follows. Now, bear with me as I read this because some of it isn't a little not grammatically correct. I gotcha. So it goes as follows. Dr. Barry, that poison was intended for Vince Spanninger and Mrs. Austin. He ate his meals there and he has been keeping a woman for 20 years. She lives at 117 West Walnut, and they had a fight, and it is not, it has not a more than, and she said she would kill him if she caught him in the Austin house. Enclosed, you will find some of the drug that was used. Now find out who used it, Spaninger's wife, or Miss Cole, or Miss Nellie Coke. Nellie and her mother had the fuss about him. Only regret is that the poisoning of the innocent one. It is no secret about the way Spaninger and the Austin woman lived. All Second Street knew it. Policeman Sweeney can tell you if you want to know if he will talk. And then it lists four names. Annie Myers, Betty Harper, John Snyder, and Jake Dell. And it says, it is hoped you will find the guilty one. Out of those four? I think no. Or are those the people who are signing? No. So... I'll, I'll, I'll mention it later. I'll get on into it later. You might or might not remember the name Vince Spaninger from the beginning of the story. He's the man who owns the grocery store below the bo- the brothel. Okay. I did not. Yeah. So I'm glad you said <laughs> yeah. that. Also, this isn't the first time an anonymous letter had been written about Mr. Spaninger for the past... Really? Yeah. And it was actually mostly accurate for the past 10 years or so, the same anonymous writer had been sending Spaninger's wife, Lizzie, letters about her husband's infidelities in great detail and painfully accurate letters. It, yeah. A policeman named Feeney, aka Policeman Sweeney, although the letter, was asked about the letter and he said that Spaninger was one of the two men who had stayed the night at Mrs. Austin's house. It also came out that Spaninger himself was the one who suggested Miss Austin should make the batter cakes for breakfast, but then didn't eat any of them. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, oh my. The woman mentioned who lived at 117 West Walnut turned out to be 40 year old Josephine Cole. Miss Cole had a similar profession to Miss Austin, but the bulk of her income came from psychic readings at 50 cents each. She was. Yep. 
upfront with the police and reporters and had no shame telling them that she had been Vince Spanager's mistress for the past 15 years. She had also tried to keep him from marrying his wife, admitting that she had been jealous of Vince's relationship with Miss Austin and that he was the reason behind Mrs. Austin and her daughter falling out. Oh, that's not, well, I mean, yeah. she said she didn't know who had written all of the anonymous letters, but she did praise whoever did it, saying they deserved a medal. Congratulations. I'm so happy you did this. When questioned about the letters, Spanager himself claimed that they were full of lies. He also said he didn't know who poisoned the women, but said that Mrs. Austin would never have poisoned herself. No. Yeah. So you remember how I said Nellie and her mother argued and they said it was over, um... Yep. Yeah. Nellie completely denied that and suggested whoever wrote the letters murdered her mother. As for the names at the bottom of the anonymous letter sent to the coroner, they tracked down each person. Betty Harper was a former sex worker and claimed to not even know Mrs. Austin or who would poison her. Annie Myers said the same thing. And John Snyder and Jacob Dell were business partners with Spaninger and both claimed to not know a single thing. Although Dell did say he thought Josephine Cole wrote the letters. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's so... There's so many moving parts. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. That's why I'm trying to say their names as much as possible so I can keep it straight. Yeah. yeah. So the drug included, there was a drug included in the letter. And yes, it was a little packet of powder. Okay. Uh, and so that powder was tested and it turned out to be arsenic. And the main question was whether the arsenic was bought later to let them know how the woman died or if it was from the same batch that killed them. Well, on September 14th, detectives Fow and Gorley visited Josephine Cole's place. While they were there, Gorley saw writing on a photo of Spaninger that looked eerily familiar. When whose handwriting was it? Wow. And when he asked if it was her writing, she said it was. So he arrested her. She admitted that she had written the letters to Lizzie Spaninger, most of them, at least. She claimed that some of them were sent by another of Vince's mistresses, Maggie Faulkner. Yes, he had more. A lot. Naturally, they asked where she got the arsenic, and boy, was it a story. She said the the morning Mrs. Austin and Miss Cheryl died, Spaninger came to her house seemingly agitated, telling her that Mrs. Austin and Mrs. Cheryl were both going to die. When he took a handkerchief out of his pocket, he didn't notice that a brown paper packet fell out. Mrs. Cole thought it might be a love letter to another woman, and being jealous, she stepped on it to hide it until he left. When she opened it, she somehow realized it was poison. I feel like if By I opened a packet, I mean, I feel like, is arsenic a white powder? Because I feel like, is this, co- I'd be like, is this cocaine? I don't. <laughs> Was cocaine a thing back then, though? Yeah, right? I don't know. I don't look up drugs in my free time. I'm going to look up drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was called the Victorian Wonder Drug. Okay. Yeah. So cocaine was. Yeah. So it's interesting that she just, she just automatically knew this was poison, and the wildest thing is Miss Cole uh, said she would have kept his secret until would have until she discovered that his relationship with Mrs. Austin 
was more than he let on. Oh. Yeah. She was pissed and wrote a letter to the coroner along with sending the sample of the powder and a list of names of people she thought would talk shit about him. Didn't nice. work out, but Love it. Points no, for trying, I guess. She believed that his motive for murder was to get Miss Austin out of the way so he could be with her daughter, Nellie Coke. What? Yes. Oh, that is disgusting. Also, apparently Josephine Cole's own daughter was rumored to have been secretly sleeping with him, and she didn't know that either. Mm, this guy was so gross. so gross. So gross. Because so of this, gross. Mrs. Cole and Spaniger were both arrested. Spaniger, of course, denied any involvement. And he said he. I'm sure he I'm did. I'm sure he did. And he said he believed Josephine was behind it all. It's like a, it's a fucking mess. Perfect for the mess episode. There you go. <laughs> but what about Nellie Coke? Like she argued with her mother. She may have been sleeping with the same man as her, and she had thrown away the breakfast that killed the women. And then there's Nellie's past. Apparently, in 1886, she married a railroad worker named. Gilbert Brockman, and they spent their time getting thrown out of a bunch of places due to her reputation. At one point, Brockman actually tried to murder one of her former lovers or admirers, allegedly at her behest. Yeah. In 1887, Brockman fell ill suddenly and died. A lot of people thought Nellie had poisoned him, but his doctors said he died of natural causes. You know, they were pretty sure that is natural. <laughs> yeah. There are just so many suspects at this point. It's kind of ridiculous. Spaniger denied he was involved and said he would have saved her breakfast if he didn't have important matters mm-hmm. to attend to. Nellie Coke was asked why she threw out the leftovers when her mother actually told her not to, given the sudden illness, and she said it didn't occur to her that her mother might have been poisoned. She just assumed I mean, she she just assumed it was like food poisoning. Food poisoning. Until, like, yeah. Until she started vomiting blood, I I wouldn't have worried about, like, if you were worried enough to come over and visit her to see how she was doing, I wouldn't start, like, cleaning her house. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. A a lot of people clean when they're, I'm one of those anxious cleaners. Well, I'm not so sure she was anxious, but we'll get into it. So, she also denied having a relationship with Spaniger, and there was a short trial of Spaniger with Mrs. Cole, which didn't help at all. Everyone repeated, like, everyone involved repeated their stories, including Miss Johnson, whose real name was revealed to be Lydia Anderson. Mm. Yeah, she was from Cincinnati, and she had left town to avoid testifying, but was ordered back. She said that Nellie didn't seem to be broken up about her mother at all, and that her and Spaniger literally hung out during her, <laughs> while her mother and Mrs. Cheryl were dying, and drank beer and laughed. And when the women were nearly dead, she took their jewelry. A-plus kind of person. <clears throat> she also said that Spaninger often used Mrs. Austin's window in order to be discreet rather than using the staircase. And I think that this was brought up because they weren't sure how they were poisoned, whether somebody, like, broke in and, like, poisoned their food or something like that. Mm-hmm. But... There was doubt cast on Josephine's Cole's story when police visited just about every drugstore in Louisville, and at one, the clerk said a woman resembling Josephine Cole bought arsenic the morning after the crime, suggesting that she had bought the arsenic in an attempt to frame Spaninger. But the issue with this, though, is that the clerk couldn't prove it was her, because although he was required by law to keep a record of who bought those types of drugs, he didn't. 
interestingly, of course he didn't. Joseph- Josephine Cole, who loved her time in jail, by the way, she even like got a visit from her poodle and like ate really well. She loved it. She wasn't even called upon for the trial, like at all. Okay. And the judge seemed kind of miffed. <laughs> he said there was a shit ton of evidence, but zero proof. So yeah. all the charges were dropped. My thing about this case is that there were so many people who had motive, but n- <laughs> no poison was found in any of the like individual ingredients used to make the batter cakes. So the arsenic had to have been added to the batter itself. And the only people mm-hmm. who were there when it was being made were Emma Austin and Vance Spanager. So it had to be Vance. Vince. Vince. I heard Vance. Vince. (laughs) So regardless of the evidence or lack thereof, the murders were never solved. And the case kind of faded into obscurity. Likely because just weeks before this, Andrew and Abby Borden had been murdered in their home in Fall River, Massachusetts. And the case dominated newspapers. Oh my gosh. So... There's that. I personally would like to posit the theory, like you said earlier, about Eugenia Cheryl's husband being involved. So dramatic. Because he just happened to get home on the exact day that she died, and he just happened. Yeah. Like, no. It would... And, like, people... People... There like, ways that people respond to grief very wildly and he could have been extremely in love with her like he could have been she could have been a love of his life so he could have been like really fucked up about it but i don't know uh, i think it was vince spanninger personally i think it was the husband okay it was the, husband. the the thing it was is the, the thing is that i'm wondering how because i'm wondering if a i'm wondering if he like found out what was going on and like made a plan and if b he had secretly been one of miss austin's like clients clients. but i feel like she would have told eugenia so i'm not sure but something something i'm also wondering slash thinking of is i know they said they didn't find it in any of the ingredients but what if the ingredients were switched out and i guess that is possible yeah i don't know so like it could have been anyone who was in the house yeah true that's very true and the crime scene was open for anyone and everyone to see so people like were coming in Mm -hmm. and out of the house constantly so Mm -hmm. literally anyone including any of her clients could have been like oh wow let me just go look through the kitchen take a tour and let me grab this ingredient Mm -hmm. so Uh, uh, (laughs) i enjoy that we both had unsolved crimes yes Uh, I do want to mention before we sign off or whatever that I did get a lot of info from that book that I mentioned earlier. I'm not sure I would recommend the book though. I think a lot of the time authors biases show in their writing and I know it happens to me and it certainly happened to this author. He used a lot of language that was quite frankly shocking. A lot of it was sexist like very like is it a better term for slut shaming because that is yeah and on top of that in another story in the book he was talking about a 16 year old girl who was seduced by a grown man and legit said that because the 16 year old girl and this man later went on to do crimes together that the 16 year old girl was only too willing to be led astray (laughs) i I literally after Mm. saying oh well the newspapers called him a monster but she was just she was so willing it's it's one of those things that when they're young and impressionable it doesn't 
matter if they're willing or not. It extremely does not matter. I don't care how old uh, anyone... I don't care, like, if they're 16 or if they're, like, 17. Like, I impressionable you, does not mean willing. Exactly. Exactly. Gross. When was this book released? That's a, actually a good question. I have it right here. Because I have a hard time believing that would mm. pass. Unless it's a small publishing agency. He does have some other books that were written earlier. This one specifically, see, t- 2012. Yeah, people were still pretty sexist back people then. People are still pretty sexist now. Yeah. But that's absolutely okay. not an excuse. <clears throat> anyway, that was my story. Any... There are others in there um, that I'm going to send you because I think they're really, really interesting. I didn't yeah. tell you there was actually a clairvoyant um, that one of that Josephine Cole worked with. She wasn't mentioned in anything except the Courier Journal articles, but I just thought she was so cool. Anyway. Alrighty. If you enjoyed that, you because didn't. I certainly did. <laughs> yeah. Even if you, if you, yeah. If, if you didn't, um, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Myths and Misfortunes. Or Twitter at Miss Misfortune. Or you can search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We do pop up. You can also send us an email to mythsandmisfortunes at gmail.com. And please check out our website, mythsandmisfortunes.com. Our theme music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Marie Adkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Please rate, review, subscribe. We would appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Thank you, and a good night. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.